Well, good morning. I'm Brian Legg. I'm part of our lead pastor team here. So glad you could be here today at TBA. So glad you could join us in worship. Um, we are in week three of our Breakthrough Prayer and Fasting series. So you've been hearing about this stuff for a couple weeks. Really taking time to explore how we connect more deeply with God's heart and how we can experience his power in our lives. Stivey kicked us off a, off a couple weeks ago and he was talking about how we connect to God through prayer and fasting and really talking about how our prayer time and that fasting should be connecting us to God's heart. It's about relationship. And one of the challenges that he put before us, and I know this has caught on because I've heard a bunch of you talking about it just in casual conversation, is this idea of we so often throw up what he referred to as cheetah prayers. You know, just a really quick, God, I need this, show up here, do this thing for me, help me in this area. And so many times we fail to really connect with God's heart, to spend that time talking to him, to be in relationship, and to really go after God persistently with the things that are burdening us so that he can speak into our lives. And then last week, Dave talked about fasting with us, um, and, and he really looked through the practical how-to, what does it look like, what does it not look like, um, talked a little bit about that, kind of set us up for that. He talked about how fasting is always accompanied by prayer. You can pray without fasting, but you should not be fasting without prayer. The two go hand in hand, and they should be joined. And it's really more about connecting to God's heart and being attuned to his will than it is about just getting what we want. You probably noticed in your bulletin this morning there's an insert in there specifically about fasting. We've been talking about this for a little while, but part of the goal was over the next couple of weeks, we were inviting you as a church family to join us in a time of prayer and fasting, specifically for these next two weeks praying and preparing our hearts for what God's going to do as we start into this experience in God study as a church family. And really the whole heart of experiencing God is figuring out what God is doing and where he's at work and how we can connect to that. So many times we expect God to work the way we want him to work. And so this is really about experiencing him, understanding where he is and how we can connect. You've already heard two or three times, so I'm not going to go into a ton of detail to elaborate, but by now, I would hope that you figured out if you were not here Friday night for the prayer and worship event, you missed out. In fact, how many of you were here Friday night for the prayer and worship time? Wonderful. Very exciting time just as we came together to worship as a church family, to be able to share with one another. Brandon was telling you earlier about the power going out and coming back on. And, it, you know, it's kind of cool how God works because I would say it was ironic, but it wasn't ironic. It was, it was a God thing, no question. There was an hour set aside for us to do some of the older, more traditional music that we don't do a lot of times on Sunday mornings. And just as the group got up, ready to go to town, and they had the keyboard all set up and the guitar, and they were ready to play and sing, power went out. And I'm not kidding. At the end of the hour, as they finished, the power came back on. It was only out for that one hour when they were doing those songs, and it was such a cool moment. It was kind of like a, an old country church revival kind of time in our prayer and worship that night. It was just a neat, different environment than we have a lot of times on Sunday morning that God showed up in a really cool way. So I just want to continue to challenge you. If you have not been involved already, if you didn't get to be here Friday night, plan to be here in two weeks on Friday night, the 25th. That'll be our next um, prayer and worship night. It'll be going from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. We would love to have you be here. Also, if you have questions about fasting, maybe you didn't get to be here last week, as Dave explained, or you read through the insert and you don't fully understand, we'd love to talk with you at Next Steps. Stop by and let us talk with you about that, what it looks like, and how you can participate in that. So today, I want to take some time to talk specifically about prayer. And I'm going to look at a couple different aspects of prayer, hopefully giving you some practical insight about how we should pray. But most importantly, what I want to talk, to, talk about today is the motivation behind our prayer. 
And it seems like this is a theme that has been going not only through this series, but comes up over and over and over as a church. In fact, there's times as a pastor where I feel like this is the only thing I ever talk about, is motivation and heart and intent and why we do what we do. But even as I say that, I realize that it's because that's the most important thing. Too many times we do things out of habit or out of routine and we don't understand why we do them or we don't really think about why we do them or the motivation behind them. And so I want to take some time to talk about that this morning. See, motivation was important to Jesus as well. In fact, when he was teaching his disciples how to pray from the Sermon on the Mount, look at some of the things he said. This is from Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward that they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Now, many of you are probably familiar with this passage, and if you don't recognize these specific verses, I know you would recognize the verses that come right after that because it's the section of Scripture we know as the Lord's Prayer where Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. But before we jump into the Lord's Prayer specifically and looking at some of that example, I want to talk about some of what he just said here as he sets this up. The first thing he talks about is not to pray publicly like the hypocrites, but instead to pray privately, just us and God. And I think... Jesus is not actually saying here that corporate or public prayer is a bad thing, but what he's doing is he's challenging motivation. He's challenging why do we do what we do. In fact, he's very specifically talking about the Pharisees who would stand on the street corners and pray these huge, elaborate prayers, and they would have all these crazy words and things that they would say, and they would put on this huge show, but yet they weren't living as they should. They didn't get the bigger picture of who God was and what they were about. And so Jesus is speaking specifically to that. In fact, Scripture talks numerous times about the importance of corporate prayer or public prayer and how that can be a way of edifying the body of Christ, how important that is. But as we think about our motivation, think about it like this. Are we praying so that somebody else sees us? Or are we praying because we desire a relationship with our Heavenly Father? Do we need accolades and encouragement from others related to our prayer? Or is it enough to simply have a personal conversation with God? If you're not praying privately, you should not be praying publicly. That would be hypocritical. Now, that's kind of a bold statement, but I'm going to say it again, and I want you to hear it. If you're not praying publicly, or privately, excuse me, you should not be praying publicly. Our public prayer should be an overflow of our personal conversations with God. Our public prayer should be an overflow of our personal conversations with God. Jesus goes on about not repeating ourselves, and, and there's different translations in that scripture. Some say not to babble on as other religions do. NLT says as the Gentiles do. But regardless, it's his next statement that I think we really need to pay attention to. He says, don't babble on because your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. And I read that, and I'm going, well, course he does. I mean, we're talking about God. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything that I'm thinking. He knows everything I'm going to say. Yes, he knows what I need. Even before I say it, I get it. But see, I don't think Jesus was trying to convince me here that God knows everything. That's already kind of a given. What he's trying to help me realize is that sometimes my approach to God 
may be wrong. I mean, how many times over and over have I gone to God asking him to give me something that I see as a need? What if? What if what I should really be doing is going to God to ask him what I need instead? Think about that. It seems really similar, but so many times we go to God expressing what we need. And what if instead we went to God asking him, God, what do I need? What's the most important thing in my life? What do I need to see in this moment? What if what I think I need is actually not what I need at all? If you're a parent in the room, how many times have your kids come to you and they ask you for something and it's a need? I need those Converse tennis shoes. I need whatever it may be. You fill in the blank. And sometimes your kids ask you something and it's this need. And you look at it and whether it seems a need or not, whether it's really a want or not, that argument's even worthless. Sometimes you look at it as a parent and you go, that's really going to do damage in your life if you go down that road. But you can't see that because you haven't walked here. You haven't had that perspective. But as parents, we've made some of those mistakes. We've walked down those roads. We've done those things, and our perspective has changed. It's different. We look at our kids, and we go, I know you think that's a need, but it's really not good for you. Let me help you see what you really need in this moment. And I wonder how many times God looks at us in the same way. Your perspective is just skewed a little. I know you think that's what you need. I know you think that's what would fix everything in life. But really, here's what you need, and he offers it to us. I'm reminded of the story of the thorn in the flesh with Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And listen to how Paul sets this up. Second half of verse 7, he says, So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. And three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time, he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul talks about begging God to take this thorn in the flesh away. And we, we don't know exactly what the thorn in the flesh is. We don't know what it refers to. It's been argued over for thousands of years by theologians. Different commentaries tell you different things. People guess about it. It's commonly believed it was some kind of physical limitation that Paul was experiencing. But we really don't know. And honestly, it doesn't matter. What we see in the scripture is that it was something that was impeding what he was doing in ministry. And so Paul saw this as a need, and he goes to God three different times, he says, and begs God, take this away so that I can be more effective in what I'm doing, so that I don't have this hindrance. And here's what's interesting to me, that sometimes we glance over. Okay, Paul asked God to remove it, but do you also notice that each time it says God responded? Which tells me Paul's listening. He's not just putting a need before God. He's not just going and begging, take this away, but he's also listening. God, what are you saying to me in this moment? Paul identifies clearly as he writes all three times, God responded the same way. He told me the same thing. I like Paul. He's kind of like me. He's hard-headed. He's stubborn. It took three times for God to say it the same way before he got it figured out, but eventually he got there. But if you notice, Paul's approach to God is one to say, I want you to take this away because I see this as a need but yet he listened to what God had to say. And eventually, Paul began to listen to what God was saying. After the third time, 
Remember, he's hard-headed. After the third time, he finally got it. Paul found purpose in the thorn in his flesh. He came to this place where he realized that he needed to trust God more than his own perspective. If God said, I need you to experience this, and I need that to stay there, and I need you to walk in that, okay, God, I'll trust you with it. You show up and you work. And I don't want you to skip over this because this is a big deal, especially when we talk about our prayers. Let me ask it this way. When you pray, are you praying to change God's mind on something or are you seeking his will about something? See, praying is not about calling God to action or us convincing God of what he needs to do. It's about connecting our hearts to God's heart and gaining his perspective so that we know what to do. And I'm going to say that again, and I want you to see it. Praying is not about calling God to action or us convincing God of what he needs to do. It's about connecting our hearts to God's heart and gaining his perspective so that we know what to do. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6, no need to babble on and on because God already knows everything you need before you even ask. Prayer is not about convincing God of our needs. It's about connecting our heart to his so that we can have his perspective, so that we can see ourselves the way he sees us, so that we can see other people the way he sees them, so that we can see our circumstances through his eyes, so that we can trust him regardless of what's going on around us. See, that's the heartbeat of this whole series we're in. It's part of the reason that we're preparing our hearts as we walk into experiencing God. I've already told you, experiencing God is about discovering what God is doing, where he's at work, where he's moving, how he's working, and how can we be part of that. It's not about us going to God and telling him how he needs to make the church better or how he needs to minister in the community or how he needs to reach people. It's about us becoming in tune with his heart and connecting with him. James talked about these things too. He was addressing the motivations behind our prayers. In James 4, he's actually addressing some quarreling and fighting that's going on within the church. I mean, surely not. Church people are perfect. We don't ever quarrel and fight or have problems, right? Y'all are awful quiet. You sound guilty. I'm sure none of you fought with your family on the way to church, did you? None of your kids got in trouble. There were no issues, right? He's addressing quarreling and fighting. And what's interesting about it is he's specifically addressing, addressing the internal battle that we walk through on a daily basis, battling our own sin nature. Listen to how he ties that battle to their prayer lives in James 4, starting at verse 1. What's causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Well, maybe you haven't killed anybody this week, but I bet you fought over something you wanted, right? Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. 
Now, for far too many people, they read this passage and they come away from it feeling like, if I just pray for whatever I want, God will give it to me. And that's not what James is saying. He's challenging that we don't really invest in the conversation with God. We don't turn to God regularly with our needs the way we should. And when we do, our motivation's all wrong in the first place. We expect God to do whatever we say rather than seeking God to discover what he wants from us. Rather than looking outside ourselves to God's plan for us, we approach God with our selfish desires, expecting him to act and just give us what we want. Warren Wearsby said it like this, when our praying is wrong, our whole Christian life is wrong. It's well been said that the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. I wonder how many times, even if unintentionally, do we approach God with an expectation that our will will be done, either in heaven or on earth, instead of going to God trying to discover what he wants us to accomplish here on earth. See, I can only speak for me, but I know there's a lot of times where I would have to confess guilty as charged. I go to God and I ask him for what I want, what I think he should be doing, what seems so obvious to me. But what if that's not how he wants to work? See, the simple truth, and I feel like I've said this about ten times, so maybe you're catching a theme at this point. Prayer is not intended to change God's heart. It's intended to change ours. Prayer is not intended to change God's heart. It's intended to change us. It's to allow us to become a reflection of God's heart. Just like Paul, as he was struggling with the thing that he called the thorn in the flesh, we have to ask the question, are we willing to accept God's will and find purpose in his plan even when God doesn't take care of something the way we would like? Will you tr choose to trust God's plan over your own? You heard that question before? See, it's something that's easy for us to say but really hard for us to do. Go back to Matthew 6 with me where Jesus is teaching his disciples. And I want to look at some practical things out of this. Starting in verse 9, he says, Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, this is the New Living Translation version. And most of you, whether you grew up in church or maybe you played sports and you remember getting in a circle in the locker room before you would go out for your game or wherever it was, you've learned this prayer at some point along the way. You probably memorized it. You may have even recited it, you know, a couple thousand times. You probably didn't hear this version. You probably remember the King James Version. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Those are the words that come to mind that you remember, right? But you know this prayer. I intentionally left it in this version because I wanted you to see some different words. I wanted you to think with fresh hearts and fresh eyes about what Jesus is saying here, what he's teaching us. But before we pick through the prayer, I want you to recognize what Jesus says about the prayer. It's one simple little statement in NLT, but he says, pray like this. And the key word there is like. He doesn't say, memorize these words. He doesn't say, get into a routine of doing this ten times a day and everything will be good. He doesn't say, if you just pray this, you'll know me better. 
but he's giving a model of how we should pray. Pray like this. This is a demonstration. It's an example for his disciples. In fact, probably we shouldn't even call it the Lord's Prayer. We should probably call it the Disciples' Prayer. I think Jesus knew how to pray. He was trying to teach his disciples what does it look like. How do you understand this better? And look at how he goes through this, what he's teaching us. The first two full verses point out that the focus should be entirely on God, on his holy name, on his kingdom, on his will being accomplished here on earth. All of the beginning of the prayer is about God and his plan. It's trying to put our hearts in a proper perspective. It's not about me. It's about you. It's about recognizing the majesty and the greatness of who God is. It's helping us to come in a posture of humble surrender before God to declare who he is, to recognize who he is, and to realize our place in light of that. Remember, this is not about reminding God of who he is, but it's about us taking proper posture of who we are as we approach God. Remembering he's the great creator. We're the creation. He is our provider. We are 100% dependent upon him. And it's only after he's established those things that then Jesus goes on to model how we pray about the things that are close to our heart, our needs, as we understand them. But look at the words he uses here. He says, give us today the food we need. You and I don't even understand that concept. Because we get the food we want all the time. Give us today the food we need. Only meet our needs. Don't give me too much. Don't give me too little. It's a proclamation of trust in God's plan and his perspective with the understanding that he knows what we need so much better than we could ever figure out. And it's actually likely that Jesus was referring to Scripture when he made this reference. If you go back to the book of Proverbs, chapter 30, verses 8 and 9, it says, First, help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. In other versions, that specifically says, give me just my daily bread. It's the same wording, the same saying that Jesus is declaring in the Lord's Prayer as we know it. It goes on, for if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal, steal and thus insult God's holy name. Give me only my daily bread. God, please give me only what I need. Not too much so that I forget my dependence on you. Not too much so that I become proud and think that I can do it on my own. But also not too little where I'm tempted to make my own way and take matters into my own hands rather than trusting you to provide for me. It's a statement of trust in God, helping us to remember that he's trustworthy and he provides for us even when his provisions may not be what our preference is. See, that's when it gets tough. Because when he provides what we think we need, it's all good. But when he provides differently, do we trust then? See, God may not provide some of those physical things we want, the new car, the new house, the new boat or camp or whatever it is. He may not give us the raise at work. He, you know, we may not experience some of these things that we think we need in life or that we want. But he'll meet your needs and give you what's truly best for you in order to help you grow closer to him. Here's the problem. When does growing not hurt? The only way we grow is when we go through painful experiences. The only way, we, even when we physically grow, when you lift weights and you're trying to build muscle, it hurts. You have to break it down before it'll grow. When plants grow, they have to die before they can grow. It's the same way with us. Growth hurts. 
And when God is showing us what we need and helping us to grow, sometimes it's not fun. Jesus goes on in his prayer to model how confession should be a part of our regular prayer life. And we see over and over and over throughout Scripture how even with God's Spirit living in us, we're still not perfect. We still don't get it right every day. We still fail. We still fall down. We still sin. And we need to confess those things. But this is really not an issue of salvation. This is not about confessing so that we can be saved, but it's rather a constant desire to stand pure and holy before God. It's what James was saying just a minute ago in James 4 about wash your hands and purify your hearts. Stand holy before a holy God. Always be seeking to cleanse yourself and be pure as you stand before him. And I find it interesting here that Jesus makes it very clear that we should have already extended forgiveness to those around us. He doesn't just say, go forgive others. It's an expectation that he proclaims. You should have already been extending forgiveness. This should be the natural outflow. You've experienced grace. You've been forgiven of so much. Of course you're going to forgive others. Extend forgiveness. You just do it. That's a healthy picture of grace. Jesus ends this model prayer with yet another posture of humility. He asks God to protect us from temptation and from the evil one, and it's a reminder that we can't overcome our sinful nature. We can't overcome Satan and his power unless we connect to God's power in us. And I want to make sure this is crystal clear. I feel like we've said this the last two weeks, but God's power is always available within us. If we are living for him, if we've confessed our, lives to him, confessed our sins and committed our lives to him, his power is at work within us. It's not a matter of finding his power. It's a matter of connecting into his power. It's not a matter of God giving us more power. It's a matter of us connecting to his heart so that we can walk in his power. It's perspective. It's about us and the posture that we take, that humble surrender. And prayer is the way that we posture ourselves in order to connect to God's power and allow him to work through us. The last thing I want you to see about prayer this morning is this. Prayer connects directly to God's word. Just like Dave taught us last week that fasting is always connected to prayer. Fasting doesn't come without prayer. You don't have one without the other. It's the same way with prayer. Prayer does not come without God's word. It is directly connected to it. 1 John 5.14 says, And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. Other versions say, when we say or when we ask according to God's will. And the only way we're ever going to know and understand God's will for us is to be in his word. It's his instructions to us. It's his love letter to us. It's how he teaches us about who he is. It's how he helps us to understand who we should be and how we should be living for him. It's how God most often speaks to us and reveals himself to us is through his word. We discover God's heart as we read his word. When you don't know what to pray, pray God's word. If you don't know what that looks like and you, you don't know how to experience that, there's plenty of books out there to teach you about it. Go Google, Praying God's Word. You'll come up with two or three good resources that you could go through that'll teach you some of what that looks like. We see David give us great examples throughout the Psalms of this, where he goes back and he, he quotes things from Moses and he quotes things from Miriam and he quotes things from other early authors of the Old Testament. Things that have resonated in his heart that God's saying to him and he uses that in his prayer and in his songs to God. Here's the thing I would say. Don't make it complicated. There's not some special formula or routine you have to follow. You should already be spending daily time in God's word. Let that speak to you. 
What's God saying to you? How's he challenging your heart? What is it that he's calling you to? What's he inviting you to do? What is he telling you that you need to address in your life? Pray those things. Pray that scripture that is spoken to you. When you're going through a tough time, go search for a scripture that gives you peace. And when you find that, pray that scripture. Don't just read it and then go on doing your thing. Stop and pray that scripture. But most importantly, pray. Pray consistently. Pray constantly. Be in constant conversation with God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Or you've probably heard it, pray without ceasing. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that you can't do anything else in life because you're spending all your time 24-7 on your knees in prayer. But it does mean that you direct your entire life towards God and you're in constant conversation with him. You're listening for his voice. You're seeking his direction. You're spending time sharing your heart with him, sharing your burdens, putting those things before him. It's kind of like conversation with somebody where you're in close relationship, whether it be your spouse or a good friend or, or whoever it may be. There's constant conversation going on. That's how we have relationship. Sometimes that conversation is very direct. It's very focused. It's sitting across the table from each other or in front of each other in a chair, and it's eye-to-eye contact, and it's having a conversation about something specific. It's talking through an issue. It's talking about something you're going to do, whatever it may be. But then there's other times where that conversation is more indirect. It's, you know, you're running around cleaning the house, and you're talking to your spouse in the other room, or you're yelling up the stairs, but you're still talking. It's still a conversation that's ongoing. You're still involved in that relationship. And it should be the same way with God. There should be some times where it's direct and it's focused and we're on our knees and we're in our quiet place and we're spending time praying about specific things that are burdening our heart that we've been writing about, that we've been sharing, that are there close to us. And then there's going to be other times where you're running through the chaos of life and it's just some of those cheetah prayers that Brian talked about that you're throwing up, but you're still communicating. You're still sharing your heart with God. You're still listening for his voice and looking for his direction, allowing him to speak. It should be constant conversation. It's living, breathing, ongoing conversation. That's what relationship looks like. See, today many of you, hopefully all of you, are going to be joining our church family as we start these next two weeks specifically about prayer and fasting, seeking God's heart for what he wants for us, what he wants for this church family, what he wants for this community, for the world around us. And we're going to be in this time of intense prayer focus for the next two weeks. Some of you may have even started Friday night at the prayer and worship event. doesn't really matter whether you started Friday, start the day. I don't care. What you fast doesn't matter to me either. That's between you and God. But I want to challenge you to be a part of this, walking with us, all of us seeking God with the same heart, with the same intensity. This fasting time is designed to be our constant encouragement to continue that conversation with God, to seek Him intently daily. And don't just throw up cheetah prayers or the God 911 prayers that Dave talked about last week. Take time to spend focusing on who God is. Take time to pray like Jesus modeled for us. Put God first. Recognize our proper posture before Him. Humble surrender. Praying that his will be done in our lives and in this community. Praying for his strength to be at work within us, for our mind and for our heart to be in tune with his. And on that note, as I wrap up this morning, I want to give you one specific thing that I want to ask you to be praying about as a church family. And, and in fact, band, you guys can go ahead and come up as I'm talking about this. And I know that when they come up, it gets a little distracting, so please 
Try to stay focused because I want you to hear this and be praying with us about it. And this is not the only thing you need to pray about over the next two weeks. We've given you a lot of things to pray about, but here's one specific thing. Many of you know Narita Bish, our children's pastor here at TBA, and she has been part-time with us for a little over two years, um, working to lead our children's ministry. She had a a great um, full-time job where she was able to um, have some flexibility in her schedule, and she was putting in about 20 hours a week with us working on children's ministry and helping to design that program. Well, I think it was about three months ago, she ended up um, losing her full-time job. Um, There was some restructuring that happened in the company, and so she found herself without a job, and so she was looking for something else full-time. And it was a really neat thing. God gave an opportunity, and, and I don't have time to tell you the entire story, but you, you should hear her tell it at some point, because it's a really neat story of how God opened a door on one particular day for her to take a job with Polk County School Board, doing the same job she did about, I don't know, 10 years ago or more with the Polk County School Board. And she's working with federal funding, federal grants, that help to fund after-school programs. Is this starting to sound a little interesting with some of the vision that TBA has? She's working with at-risk students, helping them to move forward in their schooling and their education, and she gets an opportunity in a secular setting to be able to truly minister to kids' hearts at a lot of different schools in the area. And so this is something God had laid on her heart. It's something that she has felt called to for a long time. This position came up. She was so excited about it, able to jump into it. The problem came in that this position is not quite as flexible as her last position, and it's going to require a lot of hours from her. And so a few weeks ago, Narita came to me, and and it was very difficult, but after some prayerful reflection, she made the decision that she had to resign from her position here because she knew that God had called her to that. That was where she needed to be focusing her time, and it just wasn't healthy for her to invest that many hours between her full-time job and here. And so if I'm just being honest... This is one of those things where I see God's hand all over it. I see him at work. I don't question a bit that this is the best thing for her. I don't question a bit that he has a plan for us and our children's ministry moving forward and all the things that will happen at TBA. I've very commonly said I don't have to like it because Narita has been a major blessing here at our church, and I hate to see her go, but I do know that God's got a great plan. And so here's what I want to challenge you with this morning Narita's going to finish out August with us, and in fact, on, on the 27th in a couple weeks, we're going to take some time to celebrate her in the service and to try to honor her. Um, she's already shared with her, with her leadership team. She sent out an email this past week to all of our regular volunteers, so hopefully many of you have already heard and kind of know what's going on. Um, I, I'm working with the leadership team already. We're talking about plans as we move forward, what that'll look like, what transition will be, um, who might take that place, et cetera, but here's what I want you to pray about. I don't want to just put another person in the position. I don't want to just find somebody whose resume looks good or who has great experience with children's ministry or any of those things and put them into that role. I don't want to just make a decision about the future of our children's ministry or where we're going as a church based on what we've always done. I want to take time to really hear from God about what he wants. Whatever that looks like. And you know me, you've heard me say this a hundred times, I'm a control freak. I like to plan. I like to organize. I like to know what the next step is. I I like to know where we're going. I want to have this all figured out. I would have liked to have been able to stand here before you this morning and go, okay, here's the plan. Here's the transition. Here's what we're doing. I can't do that because I don't know the whole plan yet. I know that we've got some things in place that will keep us running smoothly for a while, 
But I also know we're going to need some people to step up in a big way from our kids' ministry. We're going to need some of you to step up in a big way to plug into kids' ministry. There's going to be some transition that we're going to have to figure out as we walk through it. But in all of that, my heart is that I want us to be hearing from God as to what is his plan. Who does he have for that role? What does it look like? Where do we move forward? What's going to happen there? What does he want to do? And so I want to ask you to be praying specifically for me and for our leadership team, for our pastor team, as all of us work together to try to sort some of that out and to pray and seek God in that. I want you to be praying for Narita as she makes this transition, the opportunity that she has to minister to these kids. I want you to pray for her family as they make this transition. And I want to make it clear, we had some conversation a couple weeks ago when she shared with me, and she and Ken are going to step away for a season from TBA just to make the transition smoother, but they know they're welcome to come back here and worship if they'd like. They don't know what they're doing just yet, so we'll kind of wait and see what happens there. We're going to wait and see what God does. But I want you to be praying for them as they make this transition, that it would be smooth for their family, that it would be smooth for us. I want you to be praying for our leadership team within kids' ministry, be praying about our kids and the kids' ministry in general and what God's going to do. Most importantly, be praying that we'll walk in obedience, that we'll be in tune with what God wants, and that even if it doesn't seem to make sense with what our preferences might be or what we think should happen, that we will choose to be obedient to what he wants so that he can bless and make something amazing happen. I know God has amazing things planned for us, for this church family, for this community. Let's be intentional in our prayer, and especially over the next two weeks in our fasting, and the time that we spend praying, seeking God in his heart and what he wants to do in us and in our church and in our community and beyond. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray, and the band's going to come back and continue to lead us in worship. If you would like to pray with somebody, if you'd like to talk with one of us, we'd love to meet you back here at Next Steps. My wife and I will be back there, Dave and Brian and some others, but we would love to be able to share with you, whether it be about prayer and fasting or something else you're going through in life. It doesn't matter. Come talk to us. Let us pray with you. We'd love to do that. Let's take a moment and pray. God, we just thank you. We thank you that you have so clearly modeled for us what this relationship looks like. We thank you for the example that Jesus set for us and the challenges that the guys like James and Paul put out to challenge our motivation and our heart and to make sure that we are looking at you in the right way, that we're coming with the correct posture. And so, God, this morning, as we stand before you, we come with a posture of humble surrender. God, we're simply reminded of how powerful and how majestic and how great you are. And I'm reminded even more of how greatly I need you, how greatly each of us needs you. God, I'm also reminded that even in that model prayer that Jesus prayed for us, every single pronoun is plural. Not once does it refer to just me as an individual, but it is us as a church family, it is us as the body of Christ walking together in relationship, working with one another, encouraging one another, building one another up. God, I pray that you would use us to speak powerfully into our brothers and sisters' lives, that you would allow us to come together in this time of intense prayer and fasting over the next couple weeks, that we would truly be one heart seeking after you and whatever you want to do. God, too many times I know I'm guilty of coming before you and laying out a plan and asking you to bless it. I pray that we wouldn't do that, that we would simply stand before you and go, God, what is the plan? What do you want to do? How do you want to work? How do you want to show up? How do you want to use me? And allow us simply to be obedient to whatever that is that you reveal to our hearts. 
God, speak to our hearts boldly, not just over the next couple of weeks, but in months and years to come. Speak through your word. Speak through our Christian brothers and sisters. Speak through others' prayers. Speak through your spirit within us. And just like Paul, even when we come to you begging for what we see as a need, help us to also intently listen to what you would be saying in those times. And help us to find purpose in your plan and to be obedient and walk in that. God, help us to trust you. Expand our faith. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.